So I uh, would love for us to start by looking at uh, John 14. In your, it's in your handout. You have your Bibles, your Bible app. You can look at it that way as well. These are the words of Jesus. Okay, Jesus said this in John 14. He was talking to his disciples. He said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Because, and they were troubled because Jesus had told them on that night that he was going away and they would see him no more soon. And they didn't quite understand what Jesus meant, but Jesus went on to say in verse two, in my father's house there are many rooms, and if it were not so, would I have told you that I will go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare and prepare a place for you, listen to me, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may also, maybe also, and you know the way, you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas said, in only the way that Thomas could say it, Lord, we don't know where you are going. So how can we even know the way? And then Jesus said this, words that must be heard. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now I have always loved John 14. I've loved this. Um, the, the setting of it actually starts in the 13th chapter of John. Tender, it, it, the setting is tender, tender is the night, right? The interaction begins in that, again, in that John 13 with that poetic, beautiful statement where it says that knowing that the hour had come for him to leave this world, it was said of Jesus having loved them, he loved them to the end. I just, I love that. Knowing that his hour had come when he would leave this world, having loved them, he loved them to the end. He is the model of committed love. In an age it, uh, where it's so hard to find committed love, really to see Jesus saying, I commit myself to you in love. It's so awesome, so beautiful. And again, when we read the passage that we just read, I mean, what does it remind us of, at least in part? You know one of the things it tells us right there? that heaven is real. I go to prepare a place for you. I mean, whatever else, and many people have tr talked about what heaven is like. We've had books written and people talk about after death experiences and they've come back to life and all these things. The scripture talks about heaven in broad strokes as well. It's very different than this world, no question about it. I often think of it like, like it must be like coming out of the womb and we come into a, a, there's a safe place. This is all we've known in, in our mother's womb. And then, and then we come into this new world. And it's, it's different. And I'm not saying that's an identical analogy, but it's a reminder that, that where we're going is much different than what it is. And we get to choose if we want to be with God or not. It really comes down to that. That's what Jesus said. But he clearly talked about the fact that there is something yet to be that goes beyond this life. And it's a big part of what Easter is about. Easter reminds us that this is not just the only thing. It's one of the things it tells us, right? It reminds us that heaven is real. And, and this whole interaction that we just read, it's so honest. I mean, I love Thomas. I love his question. Jesus says, oh, I'm going, and you know where I'm going. And Thomas raises his hand and says, well, Lord, I, I, God, we, we actually don't know what you're talking about, and we don't know where you're going. How do we even know what the way is? But that, that honest doubt, and by the way, in two weeks, we're gonna, we're gonna look specifically at Thomas. 
what I call the honest doubt. That is also sometimes a part of faith. And to watch him rise in faith out of his honest doubt, it's okay. It's actually great. You know, I th I'm thankful for the question that Thomas asked because if Thomas didn't ask the honest question, we would have never got the answer. I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? That came as a result of a question asked by an honest person who would not say what he did not understand. I, that's amazing to me. Jesus would then say, after this exchange, and again, the declaration of Jesus, there's no ambiguity in it. There's no qualification in it. Thomas, you want to know the way? The way is a person. You want to know the way to the Father? The way is a person. I am that way. I am that truth. I am that life. The way to the Father, the way to God, it's through me. You will see this. And now, then Jesus would say to his now stunned disciples words that would linger in their minds and in the hearts of followers down the centuries. And this is also in your handout there, John 14, this piece of scripture. I want to look at this together. Can we do that? Because Jesus goes on to say, if you love me, again, pushes into the conversation with the disciples. He says, if you love me, obey my commandments. It was through his obedience to the will of Father that Jesus demonstrated his love. And it is by our obedience that we demonstrate our love. Obviously, this kind of love is not easy. Just hear me out. It's easier to do what we want. It's easier to be self-directed. It's easier to be self-absorbed. To define our love on our own subjective terms. But that's not what God calls us into. Jesus says this in verse 16. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, a helper, who will never leave you. The word we translate as advocate is parakletos. In the Greek, the older version, it's translated as comforter. Literally, that word means someone who is called to encourage. Hear me out. The Lord wants to be our encourager, not our indicter. I mean, if anything, John 3.16 tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that if anyone would believe in him, he would not perish, but have life everlasting, overflowing and abundant, right? But the verse right after that, but God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but that the world through him might be saved. He's not interested in being our indicter. I mean, death is the final word over all of our lives. He's about life. He's not interested in being our critic. He wants to be our comforter. He wants to be the healer of our hurt, the healer of our wound. You know, we live in an exceptionally confused culture. It's prosperous, but it's perplexed. I've been, I've been reading a lot about how many are adrift in purposelessness. I mean, we have an epidemic in the nation. I know many of us are aware of this. I'm not trying to, to like just emphasize something for an effect. But the fact is, it's amazing to me that there's, there's been, never been a time, really, relatively speaking, as prosperous as the one we are living in. And yet people are racked with anxiety. I mean, there are so many uh, people deeply depressed and stressed out. Uh, the suicide rates are off the charts. They're trying to figure out what's going on with the young people. I, it, it, there is an element of this that is just so real. Again, we're, we're awash with technology, but we're racked with anxiety. Um, just kind of adrift. I see so many people drifting, like an untethered astronaut drifting in space. 
No purpose, no meaning, no reason. Why not check out? If all we're being told is that the religion is nothing, there isn't even a God, what does it even matter anyway? One way is as good as another. What's the point of it all? Who even cares? Right? So much of that is, is what Jesus is wanting to address. Look what he says in verse 17. He says, he is the Holy Spirit, because God wants to encourage us. He is the Holy Spirit who leads us into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now and later he'll be in you. Remember, Jesus is talking about how he's going to go, but he's basically saying is when I go, I'm going to send you something. I'm going to come to you in a different way. I'm sending you, the, the, the comforter is coming. The Holy Spirit is coming. And you're going to be able to know me in a whole different way. It's even better than what, what it seems like right now. It seemed incredible. When we look at that verse, though, because what Jesus is saying is, he's not only at work around you, but in some mysterious way later, the Holy Spirit can be in you. And so one of the first things that you notice in that 17th verse, just peek at it one more time, guys, is that there is, he says, the Holy Spirit leads you into all truth. There is knowable truth. I shall not press the issue further, but Jesus made it clear, there is truth, and it is knowable, and it is not subjective. Jesus said, I am teaching you tr about truth. There is a truth to build your life on. But even more, Jesus is teaching them principally something. And now I want to put some stuff on the board for us to look at. I want to put a couple of things there for us to ponder and interact our life around. One of the things that Jesus is saying, if you look closely at that 17th verse, what you see is that spiritually speaking, Jesus is saying, we usually see what we are already aware of and looking for. Hear me there. Consider this. Jesus says, look at that phrase, because it is... It, the world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you. Basically, Jesus is talking about recognition. The more one is trained to hear and see, the more one sees and hears. And it's true of almost any field. You think about that for a moment. Just think about what I'm saying, what Jesus is saying. He's saying this is about recognition. And because you recognize me, you will recognize what I'm about to do. He says, those who don't recognize me won't see it, but those who do recognize me will. And you think about this, in any field, it's true. Usually we see more of what we've been trained to see. That's true in athletics, art, film, poetry, law enforcement, cooking, plumbing, computers, design, technology, botany, astronomy, physics, medicine, accounting, construction. Anything? What, I, what am I trying to get at? I, sometimes I'm at a game, and we can be, I can be sitting next to someone. I won't say who it is, my wife. I will, I'll be next to my... <laughs> and I'm watching that game in a very different way than she happens to be watching it. Like she's looking at people running around, doing something with a ball, and, 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 and I'm looking at it in a different way. But then there might be some things she's doing sometimes that she's thinking about the mixing of flavors or different things that she's, she's interested in. And I'm only looking at a surface level. Think about this. I'm around people, I get around people who are in construction. 
I, I stand and I, and I, list, I ask them, hey, what's, tell me what's happening here. I'm watching them talk, tell me about where to put something, how it should be placed, what needs to be moved, what kind of pipes need to be. I'm, I'm going, I, I, I don't even see what you're talking about. But they see it. I, I watch someone, I watch a film, I just enjoy it. I watch someone who's a film critic and they're, they're looking at subplots and interactions and the way music is interacting. I mean, I'm going, I, I didn't see that. Sometimes I talk to people who are into technology and computers and it's like, honestly, for me, sometimes it's like they're speaking a different language to me. I, I, I listen to them and I go, uh, they go, did you understand what I just said? I said, no, I didn't understand it. I didn't understand, I didn't understand it. But they're looking at it. it look, all of you have many, this is true. I bet this is true. All of you have an area in your life where because of your experience, your training, maybe it's your occupation, or maybe it's a real hobby that you do, or maybe it's something you grew up around, but when you look at it, you see all kinds of nuances and subtleties. I watch how someone looks at a piece of art who really understands art, and they see subtleties that I don't see, right? It happens all the time. That's what we call sometimes a casual, something is to the casual observer, they wouldn't see it. Oh, it's just this. No, but do you see that? Do you see what's going on here? Do you understand that? I, 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 I didn't even see it. Yes, because we tend to see what we are looking for. And it's something that Jesus was reminding us of is that, and that's part of what he was getting at in verse 17. And it's a great reminder for you and me that we need to look and listen for what the Lord is doing. Okay, hear me. I'm, I'm, I'm getting us somewhere for a reason. Because God wants to expand his purposes in us. I am convinced of that for every one of us. That he wants to enlarge our understanding of who he is. And there would be no, we would not be here in this moment, at this time, if God did not specifically have a desire to see an expansion in your life of an understanding of who he is. But I'm going to also put something else up there that is something worth noting. And that is this. He, if I can put it, it will always be contingent on recognition and responsiveness. How you and I respond to the overtures of God is critical. You want to hear a spiritual principle? There it is. It, it's, I look at this and you go, it either opens things up to us or it closes things down. That's why this moment actually may be a hugely significant moment in our lives. Because when it comes to spiritual things and how sometimes God moves, according to Jesus, what he taught us is that there come these moments that are either going to open something up or close it down. And how we choose to respond, what we see in that moment, and then how we respond to it, it's huge. Here's something else Jesus said. Check out this radical verse. And try to wrap your mind around it. Watch what he says in Matthew 13, 12. Look at this. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. And they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. What? Keep that up for a moment. Longer, please. I want that to linger for a bit. Do you understand what Jesus is saying? How we respond, this is not a net neutral proposition. This is not a net neutral equation. 
It either increases or decreases depending on our response. Once exposed to the message of Christ and to the reality of Jesus, once exposure occurs, it either increases or it decreases based upon our response. That's a power, that is a powerful truth. That's, that's why it is essential that we act on what we know. Because if we act on what we know, it will either grow, if we receive it and move into it, it will grow. It's alive. It will grow. We will grow. I see it all the time. I watch people come out with no background at all of understanding about the scriptures. And they open up their heart to the Lord, to Jesus. And all of a sudden, I just watch this like growth start to happen in their life. Sometimes it's a little at a time. Sometimes it's an explosion of growth. But I've also watched these moments where someone comes to a point where they have to make a decision. Am I going to move forward with what I'm now understanding and being given? Or am I going to pull back on it? When we pull back, you know what Jesus says? It's not like we just, we're the same person. It, it's like whatever we've had starts to fade back and die further. What was Jesus saying? When you act on what you're given, it will grow. If you pull back when you're given it, it will slow and fade. It goes the opposite way. It's not like it's the same. Recognition and responsiveness it's huge. It's huge. Okay, let me shift back to the text. Verse 18. Look what Jesus says. Stay with me. He's talking to his disciples. He's telling him he's going to leave again. He says, but if I leave, I'm telling you, it's not the end. I'm coming back to you. I'm going to be able to have a relationship with you in a way that was before impossible. I know it's going to look bad. It's going to look real bad. It's going to get bad. It's not going to make sense to you. And Jesus knew that. But he also said, but by the time we're done, it's going to be better than anything you could have imagined. And my relationship with you is actually going to grow. If you can see it, it's yours, right? But look at verse 18. He says, no, I will not abandon you. Listen to me. It's almost like I think he could see it in their eyes as he's talking to them. They're going, you're going to leave us. You're going to leave us. You're going to leave us hanging. You're going to, you're going to leave. And I think, he could tell, I think he could tell that they were afraid, right? He's, and he says, look, no, look what he says in verse 18. I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come back to you. Think about that word, you guys. Orphans. What is, he, what, is, what is Jesus saying? I will not leave you without a parent. I will not leave you parentless. I will not leave you alone. For those of us who have felt and experienced the sting of abandonment, in our lives. This is powerful. I, I have not known what it is to be abandoned by a spouse. I haven't known that hurt, that wound, no matter how it's sliced. I have known a little bit of what it's like to be abandoned by a father, however. I have known that pain. To have essentially someone just as you head into your teen years, just gone, check out. Every memory I have of a meaningful part of my life as a teenage boy does not include my father. And it wasn't because he was not alive. He just was gone. He, he was a wounded man. And you understand what I'm saying? 
Hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. But healthy people bless people. That's why God wants you whole. And me too. Wholer. Better. Not bitter. On life. Right? It's almost like I go, I look back and I was thinking, Jesus, you know what Jesus wanted them to know? This is what he's saying. You will always be on my mind. And that, in a way, not yet understood, he was saying to them, you will know me even more intimately by virtue of what I'm about to walk into, listen, and through. Okay, here's what he's saying. Just stay with me on this, you guys. Verse 19, he says this. Look at it. Soon the world will no longer see me. Do you see what that means? What is he talking about? That, if you were to put in parentheses there, soon the, Lord, the world will no longer see me, put the cross. That's the cross. Soon the world will no longer see me. I'm going to die, the cross. But you will see me. There it is, the resurrection. The cross and the resurrection right there. And since I live, you also will live. And when I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in the Father. And you are in me and I am in you. Because I will live again, you will be able to share in that life. And there will be a unity and a fellowship that was never before possible. You will be able to experience my reality in a new way, a better way. And of course, we know the disciples did not get it. You read chapters 14 through 17 of John, and it's admittedly hard to comprehend, but what Jesus was basically saying is this, look, I'm not going to disappoint you. I'm not going to let you down, and I am not abandoning you. You need to look at me. Look at me. You need to trust me. Trust me that even if what I'm saying sounds incredible or maybe even too good to be true, doesn't make sense to you right now. You need to trust me when I say it is how it should be. And by the time we're done, by the time we're done, it's going to create a possibility of a relationship that goes far more deeper than anything right now we can even have. You've got to understand that God is on the move and it's going to look really ugly, but the end of it is going to be life. And a relational possibility doesn't exist. Now, here's what I hear. And here's just something to throw out our, our direction as well. The Lord really does invite him, loved ones, to trust him, even when things do not look good. He will not abandon us. That's part of what he was getting at right here, wasn't it? Right? There was a point, I, there, was a, there was this point earlier, right? In the ministry um, when our Lord was very popular, there was this time when it was fashionable to identify oneself with a prophet from Galilee. It was called the year of popularity in the scriptures. But Jesus, when he was very popular, he didn't play to the crowds, the power brokers. He wasn't interested in the fawning praise of public opinion. Uh, like, like in our come and see uh, Easter musical, right? He, he wasn't, you know, jumping up his numbers on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. He wasn't running for office. He already had it. Rumor was that he might be the Messiah, the one who would lead them like a second Moses out of Roman bondage. Great expectations surrounded Jesus. But he was not caught up in them because he was interested in a different kind of liberation. His kingdom, as he would later declare to a shaken Roman governor named Pilate, who had arrested Jesus. And Jesus was the bloody mess standing in front of him, a man beaten. And, and it was Pilate who was on trial. And Jesus said, Why are we, who are you? There's this amazing exchange that occurs. And 
you begin to realize, as Pilate realizes, the Roman governor in that moment, he realizes that he's in the presence of someone that he, he just, he, anyway, he's shaken by it. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom was of this world, my servants would fight. He was basically saying, I'm not interested in political. I'm interested in something that could be you know, propped up with violence or a sword. And, and the fact is, the kingdom of Jesus would outlast the Roman Empire by a long shot. But if you would have told him at that moment... But the fact that Jesus was preaching about a spiritual kingdom, that was not what the people wanted to hear. Um, the, the crowds wanted a, a deliverer, a miracle worker, not a peacemaker or a savior uh, who asked for a comprehensive allegiance or de devotion. And so there was this one memorable occasion where Jesus thinned the crowd. And I just want to leave it as a closing thought here um, because he intentionally spoke words to thin the crowds when they were trying to make him something he wasn't wanting to be. And I asked if they could put this up. It says, from, after Jesus makes these astonishing statements that were designed to, to basically say, don't, look, don't follow me unless you're serious. He says, from that time, many of his disciples went back and they walked with him no more. And then he turned to his disciples and he said, Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to leave me? Do you also want to go away? And this is a question maybe that we may ask God from time to time when we feel like, some of us have said, when we feel like he's letting us down or not meeting our expectations by what he's doing, or listen, by what he's not doing, we think he should be doing in our lives. It's almost like there are moments where Jesus says, have I disappointed you? What now? Are you gonna stick with me? Or are you gonna check out? And it says, Simon Peter answered him, and by the way, it was one of Peter's finest moments. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we've come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is the person he is. This is the eggshell, what Easter boils down to, right? Seriously, death will not hold him because he is the Son of the living God. And so here's what I want to say. Again, I'm, I'm contending that all of us would take seriously spiritual things and devote ourselves to growing. Remember what I said, what Jesus taught us. We don't come out the same. We either move forward or we go backwards. Once the message is presented to us, we are at a critical moment in our life with God. We either grow or think something else dies. We don't stay the same. Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. So I want us to think about three things that the Lord essentially is promising us here. I call them the three Ps, and this is, this is it. This is where we're sitting. We're going to end, and it's fast. One of the things he promises us is his presence. Because of the cross, you can see it there, and resurrection is possible to know God in a way that was previously impossible. Hear me out, you guys. <laughs> to know God in a personal way, to have a relationship with him, is possible because of the cross and the resurrection. Without the resurrection, the cross is a sad ending of a tragic tale, but if the resurrection is true and death could not hold him and he's alive, and he did what he just said, what he, said he, he would do, what we just read about, create a possibility for a relationship with him that wasn't possible before, it's huge. It's, it's, the, it's the greatest gift. Take seriously your relationship with the Lord. Commit yourself to growth. Let's do that. We're doing everything we can. You know, rise and shine, we're trying to create environments where people can grow in their faith. 
grow in their understanding of who God is. Grow it in the power of his presence. And that's the second thing I want to say is power, right? His Holy Spirit will fill us with power and courage to go beyond our capacities, past our wounds, our present fears, our weakness, our sin, the places where we're most hurt. He will help us to fulfill the work that he has for us to do. We have a helper. That's what I'm saying. Listen, it, it's not just, somebody say, oh, I, I don't need a crutch. I don't need a crutch. I'm not talking about, I'm not saying, all of us have an area in our life, though, where we need power. We need help. I mean, there's no shame in being able to say, Lord, I need. In fact, if we cannot say, I need you, Lord, in an area, then we will not be able to have what he wants to give. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Brokenness does not offend him. Our hurt does not offend him. There's nothing weak in being able to say, I need your power, Lord, in this area of my life. And you know what? Because I've seen some of the most powerful people I've ever met could not contain their temper. And I've watched them. They were very strong, but when they got afraid, they got violent, and they hurt people. They didn't know how to manage that fear. Some of us have never been taught how to be strong in the way that is right and good. When we're afraid, stuff comes out of us. God wants to help us with his, listen, not just with a nice saying, but with his presence and his power at work in our lives. You know what I've been saying? that the power of the resurrected Jesus would flow through our spiritual veins in such a way that we can deal with things that would otherwise crush and define us all the days of our life. What did I say earlier? Hurt people, hurt people. There are some generational things that God wants to say, that ends with you. That ends with you. And you know what's taking its place? By virtue of my power and presence at work in your life, you know what's taking its place? Not a generational curse sent down the line from one family generation to the next, but a generational blessing <laughs> of goodness. I was, I, I was thinking this morning in prayer, praying for this time, I was thinking, Lord, you have for us generational blessing to give. You want to do a new thing in our lives and then have us pass that down. Not, not the garbage, not the pain, not the way that it just was done to us. Because you know what happens when the heat is on? You know what? That stuff comes out of us. When the buttons get pushed and we go, oh my goodness, I'm acting just, I can't. That's what I'm talking about where the Lord wants to go. He's transformative. His presence is real. He can change things. He can take what is something, if we'll let him, and then I'll leave it with this. I said three Ps, right? Presence and power and promise. A promise, because of what Jesus has done, the spiritual universe has been altered forever. The human equation is changed in every conceivable way. Nothing is the same if Jesus is who he says he was and overcame death. If he has overcome death, then that means life is the promise of anyone who will have him, not just life which is yet to come, which is huge. The older you get, the more important that becomes. I really believe that. Because you start to realize this body of mine is not made to last forever. It won't. It will fade. And it will pass. And there is a day coming when I will leave this world. And if I live long enough, I will lose something of what is now my power. I have to walk with that understanding. And Jesus says, fear not, for I am with you. 
Walk with me and I will walk with you all the days of your life and beyond. It's a twofold promise, isn't it? Now and yet to be. This, you sound too good to be true? Let's be careful what we do right now because if we open our heart to it, it grows. If we push it back, it'll start to die. We'll not be the same. But his promise is not just for the life which is to come. It's for this life as well. That's what he wants for us to have. A promise of blessing and life. Okay, let me pray. Let me pray into this, okay? We're close. And Father, after in this moment, we'll have a moment for our time of giving and our closing song, which is good for us to do. But on this Easter day, this Easter day, this Easter morning, I want to ask for you, the risen Savior, to, to do two things, I guess, I suppose, most of all. Um, to meet us where we need it most right now. Um, maybe some of us, we understand, we've been, we, again, maybe the area that is most linking into us right now is that sense of abandonment or maybe perhaps a feeling of this is the moment that we have to decide whether we're going to move forward with you or pull back, or maybe for others of us, Lord, the real connector was the idea of you transforming our lives so that we're not just passing down a dysfunction, but, or, or even just something that isn't really what we, we want nor, nor what you want, but we want to be blessers. We want to be blessers, life givers in your name, wounded healers, it's true, we'll never be perfect, there's no way, we will not be but we can, be, we can be improving and growing and becoming more of what you want us to be. And so I ask for that, Lord. I, I, I ask for us to be open to your touch and improvement and growth and becoming and transforming. And maybe some of us, so this is the day we're supposed to just say, I, I, re, I recommit myself to you. Or maybe this is the day where we say, Lord, I, I, I want to follow you. I want to follow you. On this Easter Sunday, 2019, I put my flag into the ground Maybe just even afterwards, we come to get prayed, prayed with down below. Wherever God wants us to respond, or we just tell somebody that I think this is my time. I think this is my time to begin to respond to the Lord, to follow his words for my life. So Lord, wherever we are there, there's a wound you want us to submit to you right now. There's a hurt we're holding on to that's trying to define us. If there's something in us that... that resonates with your call, your invitation. Help us to pursue it again. I just pray this blessing. Our risen, wonderful, ah, thank you, life giver. Life giver, give us life, I pray. I do, I pray it. Give us life abundant and overflowing. Let that be our song, Lord, please. Not the song of death, the song of life in Jesus' name. Over our lives, we pray it. Amen, God, and amen. Amen.